This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, my name is Daryl Ong and you're tuned in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world and to our Road to Tokyo series where we cast a spotlight on Malaysians that will be representing the country at the upcoming Tokyo Olympics. On the show this week, we head to the golf course and check in with our top golfer, national number one, 27-year-old Gavin Green. A man who's been sinking it in the European tour for the past couple of years after being the first Malaysian to top the Asian tour of all the merit during the 2017 campaign. There's still a couple more tournaments to go, but the Malaysian ace is on track to qualify for his second Olympics outing after getting a respectable 47th placing in Rio alongside the experienced Danny Chia. Kevin joins us on the program this week and kickstart things by talking about his early beginnings. Funny enough, ever since, you know, uh, Dad introduced me to the game and uh, has always been part of me ever since, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it, always liked it, uh, enjoyed the challenge. At the same time, you know, it's a lot of hard work, you know, there's a lot of learning involved in this game. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, it's a bit of a, especially for a kid, right, for a seven-year-old kid to, you know, pick up clubs and start hitting balls, would you say it's a bit of a curveball decision to, to go into golf you know rather than you know the Malaysian staples of football badminton that sort of thing the funny thing is I've played all kinds of sports growing up but golf has always been the more serious one for me the thing that something that I've enjoyed the most mm. I don't know what it is you know but it's it's a lot of people call it the, you know the golf disease <laughs> You know, it, it, it's funny enough because some even nowadays, you know, people who pick up the golf club and you know they try it out at the range or something, you know, after a few times they get they get the golf disease. So, you know, it, it's it's funny, but honestly, it wasn't. I wasn't a hundred percent till maybe about eight, nine. Mm. You know, a year a year after I started, and mm. then you know started to play events, mm. started to. Everything became a bit more serious. Yeah, I think golf is natural to you because you know maybe one reason of this is in the name, right? Green. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So. Yeah, um, that that is that that is a funny part of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Gavin, um, when was the moment? You know, you said you started picking up really seriously at eight, but when was the moment that you realized golf was, I guess, something you could do as a long-term career? Um, honestly, I did. I didn't really know till maybe. When I started playing events as, as a junior, right. you know, maybe 9, 10, 11. And then, you know, obviously, uh, mom and dad has really put, you know, lots of effort and lots of sacrifice in order to take us to the U.S., you know, to explore, to experience. You know, it's it's a lot of hard work on their side, you know, to bring me up. But at the same time, you know, I have a younger brother who also plays golf. Yep. So, you know, it's it's it is a lot. It is a lot. But... Obviously, when I started to win events, you know, I, I enjoyed that. Mm. And I wanted to, you know, keep on winning and keep on winning and, you know, keep doing better and improve. Yeah. And, you know, the only way for that time was to go to the U.S. Yeah. So that, that, that was the plan. Yeah. Tell, tell us about your time in the U.S. then, you know, what, have, what did you learn, uh, I guess, about, about golf as compared to here well, in Asia? Well, the thing is, it's, it's, it's very different. You know, for some, for simple things, you know, practice facilities in the U.S., you know, they obviously have the weather. Right. The weather is so much nicer. You know, you can practice from, 
you know, sun up to sundown. Yeah. And I'm not saying Malaysia, you can't, you, you, you can't, of course you can, but obviously we have, you know, lots of rain. The heat is, you know, it's super hot. Mm. So it's either you play early morning or you play in the evening. That's when I practice anyway. So, yeah. you know, I try to get, get out the sun <laughs> because I play a lot in Europe now, you know, so the sun also, it, it drains you. It really drains you. Yeah. The climate really plays a part, doesn't it? Crazy. It does. It does. Mm. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, obviously being in the US, you know, you experience all the other good players also, you know, yeah. who is better than you, better than you, um, you know, more experienced. So you learn from that. Mm. And, you know, obviously going to a college that was, you know, wasn't ranked that high. And, you know, we had a few good uh, freshmen coming in, you know, me and, you know, a few of my other friends mm. that we came in. And obviously it was like a family. Right. You know, everybody was like brothers to each other. You know, we always trying to help out whether it was in the gym or in That's school great. or in golf. That's so great. it was it was it was a very tight family mm. for, for me, what, what I experienced. And obviously that has made me become from a, a, just made me a better golfer. Great stuff. Um, Gavin, you're, wow. you're a business management graduate. So during that time, how did you, I guess, juggle uni life and golf? Honestly, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been a struggle, it was, no? It was, it was tough because, but the thing is, I went to college, I went, I went to school maybe from about nine, nine to 12, nine in the morning to 12 in the afternoon. And that was it. And then obviously golf till about six a.m. six p.m. and then study after that. Finish finish homework, whatever it is, you know, presentations. Mm. It's a full. It's full. I mean, it's it. You really have no time. Mm. You know, it really, really. Uh, you're just so occupied with school or gym or golf. It, it's either one of these three. You really don't have much time off. Mm. But at the same time, you know, when you're when you're when I when I was back then when I was in college, it was. It was awesome. I'm sure because because you you know you grow you grow and you mature up as a human as a as a as a professional golfer or a or a person. I think I think it's a big step mm. to go, to do that. Yeah, uh, Gavin, share with us your experience at your. Do you remember your first professional tournament? You know, tell us a little bit about. Did you experience any jitters, that sort of thing? Oh yeah, I think it was in Johor. That was my first event. Right. Um, I think I was. 13 maybe, maybe 14. I'm not 100% sure. But yes, I was very nervous. I mean, I still get nervous still today. <laughs> but not mm. not as bad. <laughs> Got you. Not as bad. Mm. But like I said, you know, experience plays a big part. Yeah, I mean, uh, fast forward a little bit to 2012. I think it was in Johor as well. You were 18 and you played in the same flight as Ernie Els and Sergio Garcia. Both these names are, you know, established golfers. Um, what would you say is the most challenging part of, I guess, competing against older and more experienced players? I mean, it's always a big competition against guys who are more experienced and has the ability to, mm. to win. Mm. But at the same time, what I've learned is you cannot you cannot push yourself to be like them, but instead, you know, learn from them, learn what they do, and then and then work on it after that. Because right. you can't change anything while you're playing with them. Mm. You know, what you have is, you know, what you've been practicing, what you've been doing, and that's, that's what you have. So use that instead of going out of your comfort zone. Mm. Because you, you will tend to go out of the comfort zone, and that's normal. Like I said, you know, the more bigger events you play, the more better players you play with, you just... It just becomes 
it becomes normal. Yeah. Um, a bit on the human side now, how how are they, you know, how are Ernie Els and Sergio Garcia, you know, as a budding 18-year-old, do you, do you have conversations <laughs> with them, talking about the game? Yeah, it was uh, it was, it was was a really good experience that really, um, because, I mean, as a as a golfer, you, you want to be, you know, like them yeah. or better. Mm. You know, so for me, it was, uh, it was an eye-opener because I was in college back then and, you know, obviously I was only 18. So, you know, there's a lot to learn. There's so much. It was just the start of the career. Mm. That is when, you know, I, even up to today, you know, I, we talk, we, we talk along the way when I see them at, at certain events and nice. then now at certain events, we still remember each other. Nice. You were that 18-year-old. So, so <laughs> Exactly. That's great stuff. Ten years on, huh? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Talking about that now, Gavin. You know, how has your game or your style changed? You know, from when you started, from when you were an amateur, then you turned pro. Do you see any changes in your style at all? There's, there's quite a lot of changes. Yeah. There is a lot of changes. I mean, obviously, I changed coaches when I was about 21. So you know, that has elevated my game to what it is today. Mm. You know, and um, it's it's a lot of changes just because you know you play with better better players, you play in different conditions, and that's one thing I would say in Malaysia you don't have, mm. because in the US you get the cold, you get the wind, you get the rain, you get everything, you get you get you get all four seasons in one day. <laughs> in Malaysia, when it rains, everybody goes back in. <laughs> that is because so of true. the thunder and lightning. You know. Yeah, yeah. So it 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 is very different. You don't get the wind in Malaysia. So it, it's just. There's so much. There's so much to it in golf. Mm. Uh, Gavin, talking about your time in Malaysia and your early beginnings, your home club is the Monterrez Golf and Country Club in Shah Alam. Um, tell us a bit about this club. You know, do you still visit it from time to time when you're back in the country? You know, this is basically ground zero for for you, right? It's where we all started. Yeah, that is ex- exactly where we all started. Um, I think back then, uh, that was the, one of the most one of the more affordable clubs for us. Yeah. Mm. And you know, as as growing up as a junior, and you know, obviously having my brother as a golfer, also, and it, it was tough to go to somewhere big. You know, it was it was nice. You know, Montrez back then was uh, was a great club for us. You know, it was fun. It was we could do our practice, and you know, obviously after that, when you when you get to a certain level, you obviously just have to move. Mm. to elevate your game. I grew up there. Mm. I grew up there. Me, you know, one of my best friends and uh, my brother. Nice. Um, yeah. on, the, on the point you brought up, Gavin, you know, about, you know, uh, Monterrez being affordable, right? It is a stigma and I guess most people, gen, gen, the general public, their perception is that golf is really an expensive sport to get into. Um, for your case, I read that you actually, you know, saved up some Ang Pao money to buy your first set of junior golf clubs, right? Um <laughs> So, so it it is, you know. Um, I guess, would you say this, that that's a fair assumption to make that golf is expensive? Yeah, if it's if it's if it's not the ex, if it's not the expensive sport, I mean, I don't know what is because you know, with golf, you know, you have so many small things that you need. Mm. You know, your gloves, your balls, and the balls are not cheap nowadays. You know, I mean, it's not cheap at all. I don't think so anyway. You know, so especially for those who are starting, I mean, you got to know what you're getting into. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, when I was growing up, you know, like you said, you know, I saved, um, it was, I don't know what year it was, but I think maybe I was getting to seven or, or, or early sixes where I was just saving my money for Ang uh, for for the golf clubs. But I remember... You know, mom told me that use your uncle money and buy your clubs. So, 
you know, I still have the clubs till today. Wow, that's crazy. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, they're, they're old, but, you know, it's sentimental. Mm. You know, the, the knockback effect about that is that it makes the sport not that accessible, you know, to many people. What, what do you think is the best way to counter counter that, you know? Should, should golf rates be cheaper? Should, you know, equipment be more readily accessible? What do you think? What are your thoughts on this? It's, it's funny. It's really funny because some things, for example people who are starting golf, you know, kids, um, amateurs or whatever, you can buy clubs which are cheaper, you know, to start with. They're secondhand clubs or, you know, uh, friends clubs or whatever it is. You know, you, you, you can get away with it, but once you get to a certain level where you want to elevate your game, that's when the money comes in. You got to get better gear. That. Yeah, exactly. Mm. You need better gear. You need a coach. You know, and it's so many small things that leads leads for you to you know be better Gavin you just got back from playing uh, a couple of tournaments in Qatar as well as Kenya um, yeah how, how was that it was Qatar I've been there before Kenya was the first time and mm. that was very interesting yeah it was <laughs> it was a really interesting um, interesting uh, golf course because it's very old school you know it's been there for I think over 100 years right. so you know it's an old school golf course and you know the everything is a little bit backdated it's not it's not so modernized so you know as 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 a golfer you know you you know where where those people play golf and where we play golf you know I mean you kind of learn to appreciate what you have and then you know obviously being in the wildlife you know you in one of the hotels, you know, you have the safari, the game reserve, which was overlooking the hotel. Wow. <laughs> Different yeah, experience. So you, huh? you, you, yeah, it is an experience. So you see lions, you see elephants, you see buffaloes, you wow. see rhinos. Mm. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but this is um, one of the first few tournaments that you've played since the pandemic, no? Um, no, I've actually played a little, started, uh, I think, July last year. Oh, okay. So you've been... So, I, I, yeah, I've been playing, but I haven't been back much because of the quarantine and, you know, all that. Yeah. Um, what yeah. I want, why why yeah. I ask is because I want to know what the new normal for golf is, you know. You normally, I've been to a couple of tournaments and there's a whole bunch of people at the tee box. Obviously, that's not, you know, you can't do that anymore due to COVID-19. But tell me a bit about that, you know. what what Was there anything different in terms of, you know, the game? What's the new normal for golf? Well, it's it's a bit different, especially in Europe where where I play. It's it's a bit weird because you know when you're doing well, you know you usually get the crowd that comes uh, with the group. Yeah, you know a lot of people following and all that, and now now it's just dead. You do, you don't see anybody, <laughs> which is really weird because I mean yes, there's a tournament at stake, but when the people are around and the, and the fans and the and the crowd are are all around you, that's when. That's when you know you get the roars, you get the. It, that's when it's fun. Yeah, but on the flip you know, side, though, less yeah. pressure, no. <laughs> it is. It is. It is less pressure. It is. But like for me, I, I'm okay with anything mm. to be honest. Mm. But I do enjoy having having fans uh, uh, follow. I do enjoy the crowd. Of course. Mm. Um, taking yeah. t- taking our listeners, you know, behind, you know, what you do before a tournament. Are there any rituals that you do before a tournament? You know, how do you get yourself hyped up? Do you listen to music, that sort of thing? I listen to a little bit of music, but um, no, not really. Actually, just you know, I I kind of make sure I get enough sleep, and um, and the way I take my mind off golf is I play Call of Duty. Ah, oh, nice. Which one? Yeah, Call of Duty Mobile. I've got a little group uh, with me and. 
you know, Gelf, uh, my little brother Gelf has his little group, and you know, we play we play with each other. Very nice. Just to get you know your mind off it, you know, you need you need your mind off golf. Call of Duty is the way for me. <laughs> That's a soundbite <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. uh, Gavin, you have a yeah. you have an uh, Olympic ring tattoo on on your arm. I've, I I thought it was a really nice tattoo. Um, and you know, bouncing now into the Olympics. In 2016, uh, you competed in Rio and you got 47th yeah. place. Um, tell yeah. us a bit about the experience in 2016. Wow, that was only my what my first sorry my second year my first my well towards the end of my first year as a pro. Yeah. So you know, especially on the big stage, there was a lot to take in. I'm sure. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was a lot to take in, and there was a lot to experience. So, you know, being in the Olympic Village, seeing all these people, you know. I mean, we were seeing runners out at 3 a.m. in the morning hmm. when we were, when me and my dad were jet like. <laughs> <laughs> so it was weird. It was, I mean, it's it's crazy enough because this for them, a lot of them, it's their major, right? Hmm. Where for us, we have four majors in a year. Yeah. So it's it's different. It is very different. You know, they, you can't really compare it. Yeah, I have to say the Olympics did. You know, it, you have to be proud that you played in the Olympics. You, yeah. you, you know, it's just it's just different. Especially since golf was, you know, I guess that year newly introduced, right, into the Olympics. Yeah, I think after a hundred years or something yeah, like this, a hundred and one years or whatever, mm. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. So it was a, yeah, it was a huge honor, definitely. Uh, tell tell us about your training regime. You know, how much of it is physical? How much is mental? Well, I, as of right now, I think you know, men, mental side has been okay, but you know, obviously. There is some things that I'm working on in the swing where it's been a little bit bumpy for me the start of the year, especially. So, but it is slowly, you know, tapering out to be okay. You know, I just have to keep, I just have to keep working on it. And talking a bit about, I guess, your partner in crime. You know, every golfer has a caddy, right? Is their right hand man. Um, early in your pro, early in your pro career, your caddy was your dad, and then a few Correct. years back, you changed it up. Tell us a bit about that decision, you know, and tell us about the importance of the golfer caddy relationship. I mean, to be honest with you, every parent wants their son to do well or, or their daughter to do well. And, you know, having my dad on the back, it was, it was great. You know, we, we've won together. We've, we've done well together. But I think, you know, we got to the stage where I just needed somebody a little bit more experienced and, you know, and is able to, you know, take me to the next level. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, that still helps me off and on. Like towards the end of last year, he helped me a little bit in South Africa. So it was good to have him back on the back, you know, just just to revive that, <laughs> you know. But at the same time, you know, you have to know wh- where the barrier is between between um, father and caddy. Yeah, it's a, it's a very you, you, yeah, thin line. It's, it's a fine line. Yeah, it's a fine line. Sure. Yeah, it's a fine line. You know, you can't treat, for me, I can't treat my dad the way I treat my caddy. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, he's still your dad, you know. And I know he wants to help and I know he wants me to do well and all that, but... There is, there is, there is a barrier somewhere there that kind of blocks it, you know. Yeah, but I hundred percent know that you know they're all they're all supportive. They're all supportive of it. Yeah, uh, talking, Gavin, talking about. I guess you've been doing this for a while now, um, and you know you've played around the region. In fact, around the world. Um, what are your thoughts on the level of Malaysian golf as compared to? I guess let's look. Let's look nearby the Asian region, for example. Thailand's producing some great golfers. Korea as well. Japan. Um, how are we doing in terms of the level of quality? You know, I think I think we're doing okay, but we need to elevate our practice facilities. You know, and practice facilities. You know, instead of, for example, in, for example, hitting off um, in the driving range, you don't hit off mats; you hit off grass. Most golf clubs only have mats; they don't even have a grass area. Right, got you. 
whereby in Thailand, they have grass and mats. And, you know, that actually plays a big part because you, you, want, you want to feel, I mean, off the mats, yes, you, you, you get it, but it's not as satisfying as hitting it off grass mm. for us. Mm. For us, you know. And then, you know, you get, you get so many people that really, that, I don't know, I don't know how do you say it, but, you know, you get people helping other people where in Malaysia, it's really not that tight compared to like Thailand or Japan or, right. you, know, play, you know, those places. So where if we can engage a little bit more and, you know, golf clubs letting us pros play for free, for example, you know. Like these small little things, right? They're so easy to I do mean, in hindsight. Exactly. I mean, the thing is, you know, every small part, every small part of what a golf club can do is going to make a huge impact as players. Mm. You know, if, for example, this, you know, going to, the, going to the range and, you know, you're hitting off grass, you know, you get you get good golf balls. You get uh, basically a privilege to play, and that's that, that's half of the work done. Because in the US and overseas, as long as you show your tour card, you can play. You can you can do anything you want. You can go and play. You can practice. You can do whatever, and they welcome you. Got gotcha. you. So you know, I think I think I think they have to change that a little bit. They have to be a bit more, especially for juniors. They have to be a bit more relaxed. I think. Mm. Got you. Um, what's up for you next, Gavin? Uh, last couple of questions. What's up for you next? You know, uh, what's your upcoming? Any upcoming tournaments left? Well, I am planning to probably play in Spain, which is in about two and a half weeks, and then um, it's a bit hard to plan right now because of the <laughs> pandemic. Sure. You know, because and it's tough also to say that when I'm coming back. So a lot of this kind of depends on what event is on, and you know they can't really confirm it also because you know some countries are letting people in, some countries are not letting people in, and you know obviously going in the countries without quarantine that's a big thing also. The situation changes almost every day. You know? Yeah, it changes every day, which is very hard to plan, and it's and it's tough. It's mentally very draining and very tough. Okay. So that's why I'm trying to play, you know, as much events as I can to get up to get to make sure my world ranking points yeah. is, uh, you know, enough to make it to the Olympics. As of right now, it's I'm in, you know, but there's still about what three months left before the cutoff day. So you know, there's still a lot to play for, and you know, I'm trying to trying to boost my my ranking still. Great stuff, Gavin. We as Malaysians, we wish the best for you, and we hope to see you uh, in, in Tokyo uh, in, in July. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys for the support. Um, if there's anyone listening to this now, you know, inspired by your story, uh, what advice would you give them? Man, I mean, what advice would you give you. young Gavin? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I think I think whatever 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 you get coming your way, and you just have to take it and you know really 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 appreciate it because some people just don't have that financially or or you know having a good coach or whatever you know it, it's that's very important mm. and i think it is important that finish your schoolwork and you finish university and make sure you have a degree before you turn pro that was 27 year old gavin green a top golfer the national number one on our Road to Tokyo series where we spotlight Malaysians that will be representing the country in the upcoming Tokyo Olympics. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's Bar None. If you'd like to revisit that interview with Gavin again, do remember that the podcast will be up real soon on our website www.bfm.my forward slash bar none. Also, you can get in touch with us by tweeting us at BFM Radio. My name's Daryl Ong. This has been Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week on here on DFM 89.9, The Business Station. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.